we're a couple of apathetic Xers, right? I mean, like, we're just like, <laughs> what is, like what community, a community sense is something that you make fun of on The Simpsons as far as we're concerned, I, right? I, I, it's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm your co-host, Bridget Kremhout, at Bridget Kremhout on Twitter. Arrested DevOps is brought to you by 10th Magnitude, a company that figures if you're listening to this podcast, you must be pretty cool. 10th Magnitude empowers businesses to better collaborate across teams and achieve IT transformation using cloud. They enable customers to innovate, automate, and accelerate by leveraging the power of Microsoft Azure. You can find out more at arresteddevops.com slash 10th Magnitude. This episode is sponsored by VictorOps, the company that makes being on-call suck less. Built by a team of avid DevOps practitioners, VictorOps is the most innovative platform available to support modern IT and DevOps incident management. They do it with an unmatched feature set that's designed to support teams through the entire incident lifecycle, from first alert to final retrospective. This means you can respond to incidents more effectively, which in turn helps you release faster, minimize downtime, and get your life back. Visit ArrestedDevOps.com VictorOps to schedule a demo or start your trial. Mention Arrested DevOps and you'll be eligible for some great discounts too. Welcome to Arrested DevOps. Uh, episode number, I have no idea, and we haven't actually come up with a title for this. Containers and some containers and something. I, I think we'll figure out the title as we move along. <laughs> the title will reveal itself. Title will reveal itself. Excellent. Um, so I'm here with. I'm very excited to have this guest on the show. New guest, uh, Brian Cantrell. Let's see. I'm going to go with. CTO of Joyant, uh, agent provocateur. Perfect. Nailed it. <laughs> in, in the fewest possible words, I think. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Brian. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Well, I just got, uh, we just had HashiConf last week. That's so right. this, is, uh, this is kind of my most immediate term, um, we, which is a very interesting conference. Uh, it's fun. You know, they have, I like that, that kind of the HashiConf. Not just ecosystem, but dare I say zeitgeist. You know, there's kind of a a way of thinking about the way things are put together. And they had like 500 people there or something like that. I mean, they they had a ton of people um, and a great crowd. Um, I got privileged to be able to give the the, the closing keynote, which was a lot of fun. So, yeah, it was great. I, I saw uh, Kelsey Hightower tweeting about that. It looked Kelsey like a was, lot of fun. Kelsey was, on, was live tweeting it, which he, he was, says he, he does not do. Fire. Yeah, exactly. Which is he says he does not do very frequently. I took it as a, a as high praise. I did take. I took it as high praise. Um, and no, it was fun. I you know it was fun to be able to. I kind of referred to his talk earlier in the day, and um, it was. Oh, yeah, it was tell fun. me about the swapping of slots. I saw something on Twitter about how you and another keynoter swap slots, so you weren't always going to be the closer. Did you just kind of go like keynotes are for closers? I'm going to do. This? No, no, you know, I, I feel that um, th- that was their idea. I think that um, he, w- I think some of the other folks at Hashi were like, you don't, you don't want to follow Cantrell. <laughs> and and I, I, I don't necessarily take that as praise. I think that's more just like, look, this guy is just manic and you want to. <laughs> Um, so I think he I, he was pretty comfortable, and he had a much more technical presentation. To be honest, so I think it was um, yeah, it was fine with me. I I mean, just totally greedily, I was able to get an additional fifteen minutes out of it, and I knew I had yeah, thirty minutes for me. Um, thirty minutes is a bit tight, um, especially for the amount of content that I wanted to present. So it, it all it all worked out. It's great. 
Uh, and it was again a great crowd, fun to nice. kind of go out with a bang, fun to actually show. I had a uh, I had a prop for the first time. <laughs> I had a wait a, a prop, an actual physical prop. What? Um, I had a a three and a half inch <laughs> floppy that that I really? that, that that I used to send the point home about hardware virtualization. Um, and I, you know, I just feel that that three and a half inch floppy, I mean, the kind of the current rising generation technologists, certainly, I mean, if you're 22, 23 years old, you have seen a three and a half inch floppy. Probably not really used it. Probably. I feel like they kind of fell out maybe (laughs) 10 years ago. So you probably used it like in middle school kind of a thing, but that will not be true in another like five to eight years. You are going to get a generation that does not know what it is at all. And this is kind of the, I mean, complete tangent of all of our icons. Like, what is this picture that means save? Absolutely. It's, you know, it's a, it's a skeuomorph. If you're not, one of my favorite, I mean, it's like, God, I yes. gotta love English. what are you yeah, Exactly. Do? I, I love English that we have a word, <laughs> we actually have a word for this. Um, it's very skeuomorphic. Uh, it's, it's like the wood grain panel on the side of the station wagon. It's a, the, but it's the wood grain that doesn't exist. It does anymore. not exist at all. No, it is. It, and it's going to be, um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny, these things that we hold on to long after they've, they've out, long after the artifacts themselves are gone. Yeah, I was I was on a, a city bus with a friend's child a couple of years ago. At the, at the time, this little girl was five. She looked up at the all the things that were forbidden, you know, and she said, no eating, no drinking, no bench. <laughs> right. She had no idea what the boombox was. Right. <laughs> right. No, right. It's like, no couch? Like, what is that? Right. I was like, oh, dear. Right, it is kind of, <laughs> I, you know, I had thought about that. that. That actually has got no meaning. No. And you look at it, you're like, what the hell even is that thing? That's like right. some sort it's of like, like cybertronic <laughs> Mickey Mouse or something. It's got like the, right. yeah, that makes no sense. It's true. So, yeah, so this is um, the stuff you were talking about at um, HashiConf. And just based on the stuff in the live tweets, I mean, I didn't get a chance to watch video of it yet, though I assume that that's coming real soon now, TM. Uh, but I know you've been talking a lot in the last year or so about the future of fill-in-the-blank containers, virtualization you know, platforms, operating systems, you know, kernels right. in their um, large and small forms. So, like, can I, do you want to give me the Brian Cantrell Magic 8-Ball? Right. The Brian, oof, dangerous. Uh, <laughs> the Brian Cantrell Magic 8-Ball, I think, is hot to the touch. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, from, I think from my perspective, um, I think the, the, the big kind of difference between where we are now and where I feel we really have to get to is right now containers, by and large, not a joint, not, not the Triton, but everywhere else, <laughs> containers are currently running in virtual machines. And it's it's a layer that we don't necessarily see. When you go to provision on EC2, when you go to provision in mm-hmm. VMware, you don't necessarily appreciate that there is this layer between this guest operating system that you've just spun up and the actual mm-hmm. hardware. And indeed, there are lots of things that even hide that even further. I mean, if you're using Kubernetes, sure, if you're using ECS, ECS, if you're using, like if you're using um, Bosch, if you're using the, 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 these other kind of higher level orchestration things, you're even further off of the VM layer. And you don't even know that it exists, right? To, to a degree, right? I mean, and that's not necessarily a bad. Thing. No, 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 that's a great thing. <laughs> but it, you've kind of forgotten it still does exist, yeah. 
And from my, I'm talking about, you know, skeuomorph. I, I, I do think that VMs are a skeuomorph. I think that we, um, and you know, I, I was featuring the floppy because to remind people that your VM has a floppy controller on it. Like all of these, you know, modern container architecture. Well, yeah, but you've got this, you, you've got these incredibly legacy devices yeah. that um, have no place in kind of this modern future. And I think worse, it's, it, it's not just kind of an aesthetics issue. There are resource inefficiencies that when you are, when the hardware is provisioning a virtual machine, and then the virtual machine is provisioning containers on top of that, you we don't use our hardware resources efficiently, and the, this can't last forever. No, I mean, it, like the talks last, you were giving yeah. last year about polar ice caps, and right? Exactly. And whales. It, it, right. It, it 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 can't last forever because it's too inefficient. Um, but then what people come back and say, and I know that I saw some conversations yeah. going on, is, sure, maybe we all want to get to this exciting world of unprivileged containers. I know, you know, like, people are doing work in the Linux kernel. I know Jesse Frizzell and others right. have done work in this area. But do we consider that to be production-ready enough that we can actually run the containers without something else putting a security layer around it? Right, and so and this I mean, is, in some people's cases that could cause problems. Uh, sure, and, and this is why I'm very much talking my book because, as as the VCs say, because um, in SmartOS and Triton, um, we do run containers securely on the metal and have for a decade plus. And the whole design center. This is really in contrast to the Linux design center. The design center was around making container zones completely secure, completely isolated from one another, um, and the ability to run those in production. And that, again, was the design center. In, in my experience, things really have to be designed for production. Um, and if you look at some, and I think it is a contrast, it, honestly, between the way that zones are developed and the way that Linux containers were developed. Or, right. And when we say containers, we really got to throw some air quotes on that. Right. Because it's not containers, it's namespaces, right? And that's the... C, yeah, C-groups and namespaces. C-groups and namespaces. And the C-groups are doing the, the, the resource control to the namespaces that are doing the isolation. And the namespaces are really taking this, are, are cutting across the system in a lot of ways. Um, it doesn't have the same design center as jails, as zones, as as the OpenVZ containers. I mean, I think that the... Let's I, just go back to Chirut. I mean. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, and I, I think it's a real, it is a real difference. Um, and you see that in other parts of the stack as well. I mean, I think you see that if you look at the, the contrast between ButterFS and ZFS. I mean, ZFS... Was, did we have to talk about ButterFS? I, I, I think I did just bring that in here. I think I just opened the door and let that scent kind of waft in. What I think that the difference is that that ZFS um, and Dtrace and Zones all all came out of that same kind of period, yeah. and that's that the same zeitgeist that we had around designing for production ready on day zero, and the, the difference between a, a, a facility as it's born and a facility over time is not. Production ready versus not production ready. Um, it is the it is the scope of features. In other words, yeah. that you, you you always are ready for production. It's just that that you it, you slowly over time add more and more features. And it's also where you've made trade offs. Yeah, absolutely. Like we can those of us who may or may not have spent a fair amount of time in the Solaris and SunOS and BSD worlds may rail against Linux's say TCP stack, but Guess what? Even if mostly we only run Linux when people pay us to, it's still one. Like the mass market commoditization of Unix is Linux. 
I, that is absolutely true. I, and, it kills me to say that, but it's true. Well, it, it's like, true, and, and I think our view is that all right. Look, what well, one true, um, and uh, and when you say, I mean, it's really Linux and x86 that won. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that, the reason that won, I, from our perspective, I love how precise you are. Well, and from our perspective, what won is the is, is the, the Linux binary interface for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that that has, and this has been true for the last uh, really half decade, if not more. Because that binary interface is so settled, it actually now allows us to collectively to go innovate underneath that. Mm-hmm. So what we've done with Triton is we've implemented a Linux system call table for SmartOS. So you can run your Linux stack in, in a Triton zone. You get a Linux, we call Linux infrastructure container. It looks, feels, smells like a virtual machine, but it's actually a container running on the metal. Um, and so when we did that, I think it felt a little insane to a lot of people. Um, what's does, been it, when does that ever stop? When, that does, that definitely does not stop me. That actually only encourages me. Um, I, I I think I'm a contrarian at such a deep level that if everybody agrees with me, I almost get uncomfortable. Um, the um, so no, that definitely empowered us. I, but I think what's interesting is since we did that, if you look at FreeBSD and then you look at Windows, they've done the same thing. Uh, and I mean, FreeBSD had, had kind of a Linux emulation that they kind of took off the shelf and have started to modernize. But it's the Windows thing that is really interesting with the whole drawbridge thing and actually getting the, they've done effectively what we have done and allowed Linux binaries to execute on a Windows kernel. Which know, lo- like bash on Windows is not something I thought I would ever hear in a sentence or see happening. Right? No, I, I I'm accustomed to bashing Windows, not right. running bash on Windows. It's, I mean, the, the, yeah, it's it, actually a really exciting new world. Like in some ways, we live in the oppressive cyberpunk dystopia we were promised. Right. But in other ways, it's like wow, it's kind of an era of peace and love and understanding. It is. The age of Aquarius is finally the, upon the, us. The, the, the age <laughs> of, of cyber dystopian Aquarius is finally upon us. No, I think you're right. I think, and I think you're right on both counts. I think that um, you, you're that certainly one can find dystopian elements, but I think that um, broadly, and I, I do, I do think we are still struggling to internalize the degree to which open source has won an unconditional victory. Yeah. Um, it, it, the, and that is well, what is when, really won. Is when, you open see, when you see Mark Rusinovich sitting up there saying, you know, at a conference saying, yeah, we really would like to open source Windows. Like, right. That's just like, well, yeah, it, it is a, a whole new universe. And one of the things that's most interesting about the, the, the container ecosystem as we see it today, it is all open source. There is nothing proprietary anywhere. Now, I mean, for all of these rivals, you know, kind of right. Kubernetes versus Docker Swarm versus the, the Hashi stack versus versus Bosch versus whatever, yeah. all of this stuff is open. Right. And what it means is you're going to get, a, from my perspective, one, it means that what is actually one is open source. Yeah. Um, two, it means that we're going to see a lot of cross pollination. Yeah. Um, and I think that we're going to, we are, I think we're going to see more of what we have been seeing where, I mean, another thing that we did that people thought we were kind of nutty for is implementing the Docker remote API. So having Docker without having the Docker engine. And hmm. what, nutty or prescient? Nutty or prescient, <laughs> exactly. That, you know, uh, one person's nutty is another person's prescience. And um, certainly we've been insane and wrong, but on this particular account, I think we were insane and right. And I do think that the um, a, a lot of others yeah. have followed suit, and a bunch of others that didn't follow suit have, said, have you know said private. Boy, I wish we had. Um, and yeah. we should be able to sell to, to separate API from implementation. And I, I think people yeah. think that you know committing to an API or an ABI actually stagnates things. And to, to the contrary, it's only when we commit to those things that we can go 
innovate in the engine itself and really begin to actually like you, you should be able to compare, I think should be able to compete on the engine without actually breaking everything up stack. Now, so, and this is all leading to, of course, the last few weeks of all the giant controversial questions in the container ecosystem. So, uh, prognosticate. What's your opinion of the rumored possible Docker fork? Yeah, so the the, the Docker fork, I think, is um, is interesting. I, I mean, I first of all, I think that um, in general with forking, um, people shouldn't talk about it. Just do it or don't. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, there's a little there's a degree to which I think that some of the the, um, the folks kind of talking about it are deliberately trying to go to others into doing it. Or maybe test the waters, find out what public sentiment is. I mean, there could be all sorts of stuff going on in terms of Sure, but, yeah, but I think code speaks volumes. I mean, so I think if you want to fork it, go fork it. So there's a part of me which is like, this is just a little bit of kind of chattering um, as opposed to actually doing. Um, I think that to me, I would rather focus on getting the and I do think that that yeah, and you know docker Inc has kind of vacillated on this to a degree I think we should demand a relatively stable docker mode API um, I think that that allows for alternate implementations that allows for because I think forking the docker engine per se is probably not the right path I feel mm-hmm. that that I mean I would rather see de novo implementations that implement that API I think are yeah. are, are stronger but well and what about I mean just like the the idea of the OCI image format being kind of this phantom thing like is it really the docker image format at this specific rev on this right. date like What's the image format that everyone is theoretically adhering to? Right. I think that there's a lot of Stroman drawing around that as well. Um, and I, I think mean, it matters to people's implementations, obviously. Oh, it, it definitely matters. I mean, we care in the Pivotal ecosystem, and, you know, Red Hat cares, and a lot of people care. Yes. And and I, I think there's a lot to kind of still be worked out there. And I think that one of the, one of the you know, the crazy elements of the world we live in is that you have these um, – initiatives where you've got a lot of people putting a lot of money on betting a lot of money on one horse or another. And yet it's all open source. Um, so that ultimately to me kind of trumps everything. So, um, you know, yes, the de facto standards are great, but, um, I can also go like just look at the source code. So we can't actually go fork it if it, if, mm-hmm. if and as needs needs arise. Um, and I mean, I think that Docker has become it has obviously become a de facto standard from a container format perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a lot more to be determined what's happened in Substack. And I think also you know everyone is kind of assumed, and you kind of hear companies talk about oh the next VMware. It's like well. VMware existed in a proprietary world. There might not be a next VMware at all. I mean, one of the things that I wonder is like, well, I actually think that, you know, historically, um, and if you, you know, you go out to VMware, you ever been, have you ever been to the VMware's corporate campus in Palo Alto? I have not. I went to VMworld last okay. year. There, what I learned is that they put V's in front of every word. They do put V's in front of every word. Um, the, uh, the as is a, a corporation's want. If you go to VMware's corporate campus in Palo Alto, mm-hmm. it is beautiful. So it's up by up like near where Xerox Park used to be, kind of up in the hills oh, okay. there. If I were VMware, I would never have a customer go out there because it's such a beautiful campus. <laughs> if you're a customer, your first reaction is not like, wow, this is beautiful. It's like How much did I pay it's, for this? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, so my last license on it was to like pay for your lawn. <clears throat> 
It's like so you're, you're, what they should do is get goats. Isn't that the thing oh. the Palo Alto people do now? They get goats to like eat the lawn. Uh, I think and then that it's like ecologically sound and doesn't uh, cost as much, or maybe it costs way more, but you you have less guilt. The, I, I guess right. The I think that maybe some goats on the lawn would just you know maybe some, a broken window or two, something to like <laughs> imply that they are um, on that that they're not taking all of that the, this kind yeah. of rich proprietary software revenues right. uh, and plowing it into groundskeeping. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, I and and I think you're right that there's not. Um, there's not a single proprietary answer or whatever to any of this stuff because I know I go out and talk to a lot of customers and I talk to a lot of people in the ecosystem with similar jobs that are customer-facing that also go out and talk to a lot of customers. And as far as I can tell, the customers are focused on the stuff they're trying to accomplish and they pick a technology and a partner usually to work with because it meets their needs for however they're describing their needs when they figure that out. Yes. I don't think that there is, and I work at a vendor, and yeah. I'm still going to say, I don't think there's a right answer for every use there's case. There's definitely not. And I mean, God bless technologists who are still out there just making the right decision. Because I think one of the things that that I want people to not fall into is there are a lot of vendors talking a lot. Mm-hmm. And people are talking their agenda. And, you know, the people sure. that are talking, like, talking, ginning up a Docker fork, you kind of take those people apart and they've got, they've got their agenda. Like, they, they're not wanting to fork Docker because they've got a problem to solve. They're wanting to fork Docker because they've got a solution to, I mean, it's open source, but if not sell you, then at least, you know. Right. They, or, like, I mean, because we don't have to beat around the bush, right? I mean, this is, you're Mr. Controversy, so I can say the word Red Hat. I, like, right. I mean, Red Hat, we know that they carry a lot of patches for their customers who yeah. want to use Docker stuff. And, yeah, the, these patches aren't making it upstream. And is that because the patches lack technical merit? Or is it because the patches further an agenda that people upstream don't want? Like, these are political questions. They are. That, has to, that have to do with people's revenue. Hey, absolutely. And, and of course, then you also have the question, I think whenever you're asking about someone's intents, you... you I mean, I am a much stronger believer in incompetence than malice. Um, <laughs> and that may be, I, I, and I don't know if that makes me wise or naive. I, um, I just feel that incompetence is much more widespread than malice. And, um, you know, patches might not be accepted because, like, by the way, there are like 20,000 issues on these repositories. And I don't know yeah. how they keep track of anything at, at, yeah. ever. Or, I mean, this is this is a conversation with I've had, uh, I've had with your coworker, Tim, my former yeah. coworker, about... Um, People who come into your project and want to drop some code and you're like, where are the tests and does this, what does this accomplish? And it's, um, I think that it's, I've seen some funny tweet about somebody saying like, you know, adopting like a patch in your open source ecosystem is like adopting a free puppy. Uh, Absolutely. You're going to, you're going to, this is Jess Rizal has a wonderful, uh, the art of, you know, closing blog post where she talks about, you have to say no to this stuff. If it's not something you want to support forever, right? And I think you need to understand what what's happening. I mean, I do think that one of the the challenges that we currently have, uh, and certainly we wanted this most on joint. We open source our stack. Mm-hmm. Um, the operating system was always open source, but we open sourced the the, the the balance of our stack almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the the things that took us a while to figure out is open sourcing the stack actually was not enough mm-hmm. because we had not open sourced the design discussions. The design discussions were still happening in hallways, chat rooms, what have you. 
Um, and what we realized, you know, about a year into it is we actually need to be open sourcing our thinking, not just our code. The code is actually like the last thing that happens. Yeah, because the code is the result. The code is the result. And it's like the discussions. Of the discussions. So the someone decisions. has the decisions. I mean, like code is the, the, in that integration is the last thing that happens. Yeah. And I think that sometimes people are like, well, I'm, I'm giving you the punchline. It's like, I don't even know the setup. Like, I don't even know if this is like, yeah. so somebody walks in with code and you're like, what is this? What? Right. What, 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 yeah. And I think that, uh, so one of the things that we did that I'm really glad we did. And one of those things that we kind of did accidentally and then realized like, Oh my God, I was stupid. I have to do a lot earlier. Um, we have, we call requests for discussion, um, RFDs. And if you Google joint RFD, you'll get, basically all the thinking that we currently have mm-hmm. around Triton. So when people are like, well, what's the Triton roadmap? It's like, well, Google joint plus RFD plus I feel lucky and you're going to get, <laughs> and, and, and there's a bunch of stuff in there. And you know, I, I, it's been great for us because technologists are reading it. Customers are reading it. So sometimes I'll have a conversation with the customer and they're like, Hey, look, um, I can keep this quick. RFD 27. Yes. Do this immediately. RFD 13. What took you guys so long? Um, RFD 44. I'm a little bit suspicious. And it's like, great. And, you know, when because so they can now see those RFDs are kind of written in an RFC kind of fashion. Yeah. And what we tried to do is is take um, some of the, the, the rigor that we apply internally and make that available externally so people can see the narrative thinking long before they actually see the code show up. And I yeah. do think that one of the problems is that some of these projects are moving so quickly or there's so much going on that w- when all that discussion is happening in GitHub issues, it's like that is an anti-pattern. Um, when you design discussions, should not be a really hard place to do that. It's a really hard place to do that. And then, and then because someone comes along and is like, well, I decided to close this issue out because we're never going to do it this way. And you're like, yeah. okay, Ooh. well, there's a ton of valuable design dis- dis- discussion there. You're just going to be linking to that issue until the end of time. Right. And it, you really need to have a a better and kind of get ahead of it, yeah. be thinking more structurally, be thinking, actually writing down your thinking um, and then getting some, some comments and discussion that way. So, um, you know, and, and we're still, I, th- I think we still haven't, we haven't, definitely haven't gotten it perfect in terms of, of yeah. figuring out better ways to, uh, but I think that getting the, our thinking out there has been a big win and it's not something I see broadly in the open source ecosystem. You know, I kind of wonder if, and this is a, I guess there's always the perennial question of what role do foundations play and where does your foundation come yeah. in on this sort of thing, yada, yada, yada. Right. But I know that in the Cloud Foundry ecosystem, um, the Cloud Foundry Foundation is super valuable to make sure that these discussions are happening between different foundation members who are partners um, with people pairing together on these teams on the open source pro- hmm. uh, yeah, sure. project but who also work at competitors. Yeah. So we have pairs where someone works at Pivotal and somebody works at IBM. Which and is great. they have to, obviously having that layer in there of we're all in this together is super valuable. So my question to you, since I know you're involved with it, is tell me about how the um, Cloud Native Computing Foundation plays into all of this Sturm and Drang in, yeah. the, uh, in the container ecosystem. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we in the CNCF are, are, are still finding our footing to a degree. I mean, the key for me is uh, it can't be the Kubernetes Foundation. Kubernetes mm-hmm. is obviously one of the projects in the CNCF, but it, 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 we cannot be the Kubernetes. If we are the Kubernetes Foundation, then we have failed. Um, well, so, that's not really a foundation then. 
Like, right. I exactly. mean, that, again, like that's why Pivotal doesn't run the Cloud Foundry Foundation. Right. We have an independent foundation, you know, Sam Ramsey and company out of the Linux Foundation are like running right. it. And the Linux Foundation is, you know, this is where I'll kind of take off my CNCF hat and I guess I'll dog on an Apache hat. You know, the, <laughs> the, the, the Apache folks get uh, kind of rightfully riled mm-hmm. up that the, the the Linux Foundation is a 501c6, not a 501c3. Mm-hmm. So the fi- a 501c3 is a nonprofit with a public mission. Mm-hmm. 501c6 is an industry consortium mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily have any public mission. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I used to kind of think, like, oh, God, that seems like just such inside baseball. But I see the point. Um, it, the, it, the, so wait, so what direction did you go for the CNCF? CNCF is, is a Linux foundation. I mean, so the, okay. the, the, it, it, so it as is... As opposed to, say, a, the As Apache opposed one. to the Apache Foundation, which is a 501c3. And yeah. it is a different disposition. Um, yeah. And so the mission is not necessarily public. And I, I do think that that is... Um, you know, one thing that we, you know, that uh, kind of struggle with in the CNCF is that we, 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 I feel we need to have as public a mission as we can. I think we need to kind of rise above the 501c6 status, rise above the, 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 the Linux Foundation. I mean, you know, not, not to denigrate the Linux Foundation, they serve an important role, but I, I, I think it's, it's important that we, uh, that to me, our constituents should not be the vendors mm-hmm. that have that are paid a premium to have a seat at the table. To me, our ultimate constituents need to be the people actually standing this infrastructure up, running it, developers contributing to it, and so on. You know, I really one thing that I didn't really pay as much attention to um, before when I was not working at a vendor, and I do pay attention to now, is I have a lot of respect for all of these um, companies that are paying, including Giant, that are paying employees to write open source code. It's like the GitHub resume is bullshit. We all know that. Lots of people write perfectly good code that they don't get to put on there. Right. But people whose companies are... Permit me a rant. Yeah. The other thing that drives me crazy with the GitHub resume, just speaking of my, strictly selfishly, of my own resume, so SmartOS is actually a fork of Illumos. Illumos is the, I mean, we're not a fork, we're a downstream distro of Illumos. Uh, Illumos consists of OmniOS, SmartOS, and a bunch of others. We wanted to be really good citizens about constantly upstreaming our stuff into Illumos. So at... In the spirit of being great citizens, SmartOS is a GitHub fork of Illumos. Illumos Joint sure. is a GitHub fork of Illumos. You know, if you contribute to a, a fork, it's like not on your activity at all. Uh, Do you know this? No, I didn't. Know yeah, that. it's like it, it's like it, it, no. It's so you like my, my GitHub resume is like what has what this guy been doing for the last n years? Like yeah, contributing to a fork. And th- that sounds to me like you know, even bringing things all the way back to the, the Docker fork question. Yeah. That sounds to me like someone at GitHub needs to have a thought about. How that stuff shows up. Totally, and this is that's, where that's got to be an oversight. Like it's it, a it very is an oversight. strange choice if it's a choice. It's a very strange choice, and it's kind of like it's like a lot of these things where it's like they they've also got a business to run. I mean, they've got sure. challenges, and like they're like GitHub resume. Like no one asked us before <laughs> people started giving out their GitHub resume. We would have told you that's a terrible idea because you know it doesn't highlight these things anyway. No, but you're right. I mean, the GitHub resume on the one hand is but, yeah so, is, is not accurate for a lot of reasons. It's not accurate for so many reasons, forks right. included. Right. But for these companies that are paying their employees to actually write code out in the open, I feel like it's a win-win. This is back to the open source winning. Right. I think it's a win for all of those employees because they can write code, they can do peer review, they totally. can work with their coworkers, they can write that open source code all day. They can go home and go for a run and relax and have their kids or whatever it is they want to do. And they don't have to be like, 
And then I wrote some open source code after I was exhausted from writing all that closed source all day. Oh, right. It's like, that's not how we build better. No, no, that's definitely not. And and we are definitely, uh, you know, deep in um, what, what I called, God, a decade ago, a decade, <laughs> decade and change ago, uh, mm-hmm. supply side open source versus demand side open mm-hmm. source. Because mm-hmm. it used to be back in the day, you were writing open source software because you had a need that you had at so, and that still exists for sure. But uh, but that these kind of the, these engines infrastructure, open source infrastructure, is coming from from companies that are dedicated to it, um, which is great. I don't know. It, it, it's it's um, I think it's terrific. I would say that on the one hand, it is great that that, that vendors like Joy are doing that. But then there is that commercial interest. Uh, totally. So it's like you have to balance that, right? Because it's people, and it's people who care passionately about writing it. Right. And they're writing it as part of their job. Right. The writing is part of their job, and so the question becomes: To any open source company, how do you monetize this? And the I think the big challenge that we're uh, you know, people love to talk about. That all of the disruption, disruption seems to be kind of everyone's favorite word. Um, and, and there's a lot of disruption going on. Software itself has been massively disrupted. And mm-hmm. it means yeah. that the, the margins in software are, are, are changing a lot. And the, I mean, and, and it depends on the software, right? It depends on the software, but people like. People are willing to pump money into the software they think is going to make them more money. They are, but I think that the era of proprietary software is is going to be completely over. I, oh, I, I, totally. I, and I think that you, you know, you know, I'm just talking about like the commodity style. If, for example, somebody wanted to write their own novel public cloud, right. they would be fools to it not least look at your code. Oh, they'd be it's, it's stuff like yes. that. Oh, absolutely. And it means that there is certain software. This is why I think if you kind of take that kind of the the thirty year view, I do think that. It, Things like ZFS, um, be anyone. And this is the reason that, that ZFS is ultimately going to be, I think, the storage substrate that will be. Um, it will be very hard to have a new storage substrate to have a new file system, because you got to make a real case for I can't improve ZFS. That that what I need is so novel, and it may may very well. But, but overlay FS, what? Right, exactly, <laughs> like... right. we, we we may very well. Kind of collectively, there may be a need for it. There may be a niche need for it. Where you, where I mean, I, I wouldn't want to say like, "Hey, don't bother." File systems innovation's over. I wouldn't say that at all. To the contrary, I would say that file system innovation, file system duplication of effort is over, right. and we can now kind of all focus on one substrate. Now that may, of course, splinter, and, and I, the, the, there's there's room for alternatives for sure. And this kind of goes to a wordly mapping place of like. Exactly which pieces have we pushed from being, you know, novel implementation into, you know, uh, kind of starting to commoditize this into like, this is just utility, but we use that to feed new innovation. Absolutely. And and I think that, w- that once you kind of, d- and just like, I mean, honestly, the ubiquity of Linux was actually very helpful in a lot of ways. It, was the, it meant the ubiquity of Unix, it meant the ubiquity of a lot of other ideas. Um, so I think that, that getting... The, the, the sunset of proprietary software is a huge, huge, huge win, um, and it and it will fundamentally change. I mean, there are a lot of companies that actually have depended on proprietary software. So people talk about VMware's lawn. There may not be a lawn for an open source company. I mean, the, the, one of the things that you that you have to come to grips with is like you may just not have the, the the margins may look different the, the structure yeah. may look different so from our perspective it looks different you have to go to what yeah. what people will pay for 
And what they're they're not going to pay for is the software. They will pay for you know the ability to run cloud. They'll pay for the, they'll pay for a service. They'll pay for metal. I mean, there's plenty things they'll pay for. I mean, but. I know what we've found, and again, like Cloud Foundry is open source, right? And um, Pivotal, like all of the other people with their own downstream Cloud Foundry distribution, uh, puts some amount of. And then we do all of this ISV work and all these integrations for you. Right. And that comes with the commercial package. Right. And people, um, customers, do seem to appreciate that while nothing would stop them from building their own integrations to absolutely everything on the world in the world, well, nothing would stop them except that they only have so much time. Right. They would like to spend their engineering talent on things that actually make them money or get in some other way if they're not a money-making, like, say, their governments or whatever. Right. Um, they would like to spend their effort and their engineering talent on things that are a differentiator for them. Right. Things that make a difference. Absolutely. And while, I guess, like, the the underlying everything that they're using to get this started is open source, they are going to pay for the extra work someone else has done for these integrations just because they don't want to redo it. They don't want to redo it. And I think, you know, kind of the big question And is, I wouldn't say that that, I mean, I guess technically that is closed in that it's, it was built specifically for the proprietary angle or whatever. Right. But I also don't see that as like giantly secret. Nothing would stop anyone else from writing an integration too. Right. And I think that the, the kind of the question is like, you know, how do you then monetize open sources that monetize via, you know, we've got some kind of proprietary bits at the edges that, that are um, just, yeah. we just did a bunch of work with this vendor butt. to give you the push button. That's, right. And like that's so, an example of something we monetize. Right. That seems to work okay. Right. And I and I think for infrastructure software, I think that the I, I do think that people are still willing to pay for service and support. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean it, it gives, you know, because VCs have an allergic reaction when we say this, but I do think that like people are willing they, they they are willing to pay for the ability to pick up the phone in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and call a, a, for an upgrade that has gone sideways. And that to me sure. it has to be the I I think and if you're not building software that people care that much about, I mean this is where you get, you, you get to really really challenging things to monetize. Like, well, if you don't if the software you're developing either works so robustly or is simply not in the loop at three in the morning, um, yeah. it is, this is back to your production point. Right, like you got to be focused on production. You've got to be focused on that production use, and you've got to be willing to really do the things that are necessary to give value there. I mean, and yeah. invest in debuggability, invest in observability, invest right. in, and so when, you know, you, my meetings this morning were about the ongoing work with the monitoring and metrics stuff. That was great. It's like this is for the, and this is on the proprietary side of things right. is this is a value add. Right. If the customers, they have their logs, they can do anything they want with them. We're going to give them, we did this. If you would like to use this, and I and I think that you need to. This is where uh, you, you know you need to have the, the when you're developing that infrastructure software. If you intend to monetize it the way we're monetizing it with with support, effectively support, and then running our running our own infrastructure based on it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you intend to be the one that's going to pick up the phone um, when something has gone horrifically wrong, it then biases you to make that infrastructure as reliable as possible. Um, I read a really great um, blog post that someone who apparently works at Joint now wrote about a storage disaster at a previous job of his. He pointed (laughs) me to this. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but like some engineer at Joint like uh, had a storage disaster at some previous job and as part of the recovery, what you're talking about my blog engineer this, are you? I don't think it was yours. I think it was some some dude who works on your engineering team. As part of his recovery, they reassessed what they were doing and they said, Well, we need to be, you know, on Triton so that we can 
um, oh, get away yes. from the single point yes. of failure and sadness yes. that they experienced. And yes. I was just kind of having like the the shaking flashbacks to the middle of the night sadness with storage that we've all experienced in our life. Yes. And you were talking about Richard Keeney's Sad Apocalypse yes. blog entry, which is very good. It's and, a very good blog post. And it does, I think, um, Sad Apocalypse was a terrific name mm-hmm. um, because I think it's one of these things that shows you these little details really matter. Right. And That's the, what I was thinking of. When you're talking about production and operability, and I'm like, yep, yeah. that stuff. And, and you know, I, I think that um, I kind of feel that every developer should every software engineer well on the one hand i think that having um you know having every software engineer where where a pager is not necessarily the result that you want or doesn't necessarily i mean there's a degree to which you're trying to to train a dolphin with a shock collar which does not work um you will make it so they can they'll they'll, they'll jump three feet whenever they're 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 whenever they're paged out but I, i think that i do feel that you that everyone needs to develop production empathy where they feel the cold sweat of a production nightmare and they because I, I think that, that that people don't understand software engineers don't struggle to understand how much stress you have when you're operating as a system that was working and now is not working and the, everyone really around like to you find out why but more importantly you would really like to fix it those two might be related they might not <laughs> right exactly and you, you and you've got that tension of I need to understand what happens if this doesn't happen again versus like I want this pain to stop especially if you have a system that was working and isn't working any longer and then you, you were saying everybody around you is like, uh, it's like what's up you know, the, the, the CEO is like why isn't this like why can't you just like turn back time it's like well you know it's because because we've because that's a share song but it's not actually like reality <laughs> it's not actually reality um, and I, I, I think that um, that is really stressful and, and those situations, and I think, you know, it, it's, I always marvel at the kind of operation psyche that is able to really keep a cool head in a storm like that. Um, you know, I, I mean, if you panic, the pain will take longer. Right. That's exactly <laughs> right. But I, I think that software engineers are, they do panic. Um, and I think that that's kind of the difference between the, the, the development mindset and the operations mindset, which I mean, is we can like DevOps group hug as much as we want. I do think that there is a, I, I think that there, that there, we can get very, very close and we should get close where you got operations with a strong dev mindset and dev mm-hmm. with strong operations and empathy. I think that there is, a, but when you are in the middle of an outage, um, the personality types do separate, and yeah. and it is the operators in that that kind of operations mindset who are able to keep that cool head. Um, and the I, I do think that the, the the dev mindset kind of loses its mind. Um, I, I sometimes wonder um, if there's a reason that a lot of the people. I'm active in the DevOps Days community, and a lot of the people who end up running the conferences are ops people. And Interesting. It's, yeah. I think that it might just be the event running, plan, running event planning. Is, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's operations. It's operations. It's running live fire events is like. Yeah. And when it's like everything has gone sideways and, you know, you're 15 minutes until this thing has started. And, you know, but it you, still has to go. Yeah, it still has got to go. And you've got you to think on your feet. And, no, I think it's. Yeah. I mean, my, my spouse, Joe, does event technology. And we like to say, like, we've had the same job for 20 years. Like, because he's running live lights and sound and video and recording and live streaming for live events. Right. You don't get a do-over. No, you don't. No. 
it's theatrical it, and you just, if something goes wrong, you roll with it and you, you troubleshoot it and you don't get to. And if it goes right, it, yeah. like infrastructure, if it goes <laughs> right, people no are like, noticed. oh man, the lights were awesome. It's like, and the sound all worked. Right. And, and I mean, no, I mean, you and I say that because we present at conferences right. and we, and so we've seen it. Not we've seen it right. And, and, you know, whenever you compliment, you know, the, the, the folks doing the lighting or sound, they go like the tears streaming down the face because they get, they get it so rarely. We, we tip them out. Yeah, right. There you go. Like, I'm sure. We're just like for DevOps News Minneapolis. I was like, thank you. Here's cash that shows how much we care that you had our, our video and our lighting and like, you know, our iMag. Right. Put the giant human next to their slides so the back of the room can see their facial expressions. Makes a huge difference, like, but it's, it's not. Wonderful. It, but it, but it, you only really notice it when it's screwed up. Right. And that that does require a certain kind of, of yeah. mindset to but be able is, to develop that. This is the mindset thing, though, about, you know, like devs and ops come together at last, only we might still be sort of different people. It makes me think so much of, back to Wardley, so much Simon Wardley. Yeah. Um, is the Pioneer Settlers Tom Planners. Yeah, interesting. So if you've got pioneers um they're uh they're going to implement something that works 80 percent ish works for some values it works like right. you would never put this in production but it's proof of concept to you and it works right and but then you probably would move past that pioneering phase um to this idea of like settlers okay so i i always think of myself as being in settlers mode right it's like okay you you got something that sort of works. Now let's make it actually reproducible. Right. We have pivotal. We like to talk about day two operations. I'm right. like day two and day two thousand. What's right. going to happen if we actually try to use this? Oh, suddenly we need to find and patch all the corner cases, or we need to have at least game plans for dealing with all the corner cases. Um, just getting this software that you know works ish to like we would actually run this in production. Right. And I think that it's not even that a person has to only be a person who can only operate in one mode or another. I think people, like you're saying, have a personality where they prefer to operate in one mode or another. Yeah. But as you were also describing, they can learn to move a little closer to and understand a little bit more about what's going on with the other modes. Yeah, no, I think that that's right. And I, 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 and then I guess in that analogy, Tom planners would be like, you know, this stuff is so turnkey, it just works. We're just going to like, you know, we're not building this town from scratch anymore. We're just running. Right. We Right. And, and I, I think that you can get – those two mindsets can get very close to one another. Because, I mean, I think – and honestly, even though um, I think I've got a – I do have a very high degree of production empathy. I've dealt with plenty of production outages. I, you know, I'm ultimately not an operator. I'm ultimately a developer. Um, you want to instantiate things from spring for you know spring forth from your brow. Oh right, right. I and I I, I, I ask that not. Well, I, I, oh, I ask I, it lovingly because no, I don't no, you, actually. You, you, I don't yeah, ever you, want you, to. You're right. You're phrasing it. Things. You're phrasing it way more positively <laughs> than I think of it. I think of it more like I actually really struggle to keep a cool head in a storm, even though I, um, I, I, I the the voice in the back of my head, which I definitely suppress is like, we're never going to get it working again. It's done. It's over. Forget it. It's never going to work again. Like I immediately go worst case. And I mean, ultimately I use that voice to drive me to figure out what the hell's going on. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I do, I mean, I've got a very high degree of operational empathy, obviously, because I, and I, I kind of constantly force myself because I know that I am a, a you know, a developer heart of hearts. I think it's irresponsible not to have that operational empathy and to constantly develop my software such that I can understand 
production systems on their very worst day. Um, so I, my focus is is really exclusively on production systems. Actually, I, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, Camille Fournier, the, 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 the great technologist, the, 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 Camille DM me that she was someone was complaining to her about God that Cantrell thing's always on about production this production that focuses way too much on production systems and I mean I would not I mean Camille's supported enough production systems I mean she's done enough production systems in, in her career that that's like not something I would say around her I, I can imagine that I mean like I, I mean she was obviously laughing about that um, I'm imagining her biting their head off oh absolutely <laughs> I hope I, well, I, 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 and I can't I mean I hope anyone who has that attitude keeps that strictly private because I do feel that like there is a level at which you are you to to denigrate production systems or someone focusing on production systems is to denigrate the very people who actually are responsible for keeping the systems up and understanding their failures. And I, I, to me, it's like everything that we do is ultimately has to come boil down to a production system. That's all that matters. I mean, it's in service of that. Otherwise, we're just making toys. We are just making toys. Which our toys are fun, but, but it, it, they are not real. They're not real. And and to like, me, people aren't going to base their careers and their lives around a toy, right? I, and ultimately, it is our. And this is where you get to kind of our responsibility to society is that utility. I mean, I, I guess I'm an old schooler in that regard. Is that we that yeah. that we're trying we're trying to push stuff to the point where we don't have to put the kludges and shims in all the time, so right. that it sort of works. And, and which is how computers feel a lot. It is how computers feel a lot. I do feel that that when you kind of take the 40 year view, we're doing well actually. Um, <laughs> well, so no, I, I think that we, I, I do think that, that it's easy to get down on things because they do kind of feel broken all the time. But the, the the flip side of that is how much software simply just works, how much software has sedimented well, infrastructure. And how much hardware just works. Like we right. were at the, um, uh, this was, it was uh, right before DevOps Day Silicon Valley. Um, Adam Jacob from Chef came by and met Tim Gross, and we were chatting, and that's how we had the earlier episode of Arrested DevOps about Container Pilot and Habitat. Um, and after we chatted at that Hyatt um, in Santa Clara, we went over to Mountain View to the Computer History Museum, where they were having oh, yeah. DevOps Day Silicon Valley. Yeah. And I had never actually taken the time to go through all of the Computer oh, History Museum before. Yeah, it's amazing. And one of the things that really stood out for me was on a whole bunch of these really early mainframe systems, um, or pre-mainframe, proto-mainframe, yeah. whatever systems, they would have um, a label that also told you what the word length was. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, you don't think about that today. Oh, You do yeah. not spend your time worrying about how many bytes are going to be here. Oh, absolutely. And it's just like, okay, like, well, you know, 32-bit this and whatever. It's like, this was, it was not, there was no standardization. Like, people would just build some hardware and... Fit however much they could fit onto that board, and that's what you would get. And well, like, I, I no. mean, we were at a very low level of abstraction. Yeah. Um, we were in very much the proprietary era. We were in, and you look yeah, at general purpose compute was like not a thing. Yet. Right. And you look at, at how far we've come, and I think that, you know, we have achieved this kind of collectively, we've achieved this kind of critical mass where, you know, something that I've believed for a long time, I'm sure you believe as well, is that ultimately, mm-hmm computational thinking has to become literacy. Uh, And we need a society at large. We, we need this, this is going to be to the degree it's not, not already. I mean, this is going to be an extremely important skill or the important skill. Well, and I like how you put it computational thinking, not coding necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, like teaching a kid to code with, you know, scratch or whatever. It's fun and it's awesome. But the, 
awesome part is watching them think through a for loop or right. watching them think through just if this, then that, otherwise that. Right. Like logic uh, is, that is so important. It is. And you don't need computers to learn logic. But you, like, you don't. And, and, but that, but that you need logic to, to understand computers. And to, to think analytically, <laughs> and I do think to think computationally, and I think to think that you you want people to think that, oh, hey, I can actually write a Python program to do this. That, that to do this... Um, to do this mundane task as part of whatever it is I'm doing. And I, I think that, or I, I know how to go, to go find such a thing and, and actually execute it. Um, it may, and again, I think we are, we're already there in that in terms of, I mean, I think one of, I mean, honestly, you, you look at, we are, we are, live in a very bifurcated economy right now sure. where there is a segment of the economy for whom life is actually awfully damn good. There is a another segment of the economy for whom life is not good, has gotten worse, and the prospects are really grim. And to me, like that is the dividing line. The dividing line is to to what degree are you participating in this current revolution? And I think that you know, fortunately, people are beginning to kind of put all this stuff together. Well, and there's obviously other factors there too. If you have computer, you know, we're I mean we're we're way on a tangent here, but if you have computer science professors on the East Coast having campus security hassle them when they're going to their offices because they're black, oh, like absolutely. we know that it's not as simple as you've bought into the digital economy, so everything will be super for you. Like, no, we have serious inequities and inequalities we- in our country that have have to do with systemic barriers and problems in our society that aren't just, totally. does this person have... Um, you know, discrete math background or not? <laughs> right, totally. But I, I, but I'll flip it around. I, I, I totally agree with you, and I, and and you, I, you, I don't want to minimize the, the the current struggle. But I will flip it around. That um, you know, I went to an inner city high school that was, um, among other things, a computer magnet school mm. that had that, that for which IBM had invested millions oh, to have a computer lab. It was great. <clears throat> That investment is no longer required for an inner city high school to have access to that same computational facility. And they, that's that's they, a really good point. They, that, so on the one hand, I mean, again, you don't want to minimize the, the, the current struggles. On the other hand, we do have the cost of acquiring this between online courses and the cloud. And they, these are not these things are not panaceas. You need quality instructors. I mean, the, I mean, the first and foremost, right. But, and we need and to get access to a computer uh, and uh, free time or, or, or you, you need, you need a, <laughs> like the, your Maslow's hierarchy of needs needs oh, to get totally. a little bit higher than, you know, absolutely. absolutely. Everything in my life is dangerous and terrible. Right. But I do feel that, that the, it's incumbent on all of us to kind of switch the conversation around to right. that solving that education problem right. and getting, getting the literacy, getting, getting us, we are, you know, right now we are, we live in a, this kind of medieval Europe where you, right. you've got the, you know, and we need to get. Like up. we can sit here and do a podcast and then there's people who, yeah, a podcast is really not in their hierarchy of needs. Not in the hierarchy of needs. And I mean. And this is, this is one of the things actually that um, we were fortunate enough with uh, DevOps Days Minneapolis this year, which, you know, was a not a small conference. We had 700 people show up. We had like more than that registered. We had 700 wow. warm bodies. And yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. In Minneapolis. In Minneapolis. That is yeah. a lot. Yeah. And so we were fortunate enough to have good sponsor support. And so we had some excess cash at the end. We're keeping some to seed next year, but we ended up taking about 10% of it and donating it to local initiatives focused, one focused on um, underprivileged youth 
and one focused on a better job training for in like technical fields um, that's not one of those, you know, unaccredited for profit things. It's um, it's actually the American Indian Council runs an oh, opportunity cool. center. Interesting. And so we donated money to their Dakota Institute that um, trains a lot of um, American Indian and black uh, students who maybe had like, you know, $26,000 a year fast food job. And now they have a $45,000 a year data center job. Right. That's great. It's like, I mean, is it Silicon Valley money? Maybe not, but it's I mean, definitely not. But it's it, opportunity that is real right. and accessible and gets people to the point where they might start yelling at some hard drives themselves. Someday. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, and I, I think that that's, that's, I think that's, that's super right. important. That's like, really this is important. something as technologists with, with privilege in our lives and we, opportunity, yeah. we have to put that opportunity out there for other people. We do. And I think that, um, at least for me personally, there's no more visceral way to really appreciate this than having kids where you kind of right? think of like, think of your kids kind of making their way in the world. And then you kind of realize that like their problem is, you know, everyone has got this kind of the same, the same challenge about how we take this kind of rising generation. And I, you know, I, I personally, I I am ultimately an an optimist with respect to human ingenuity. And I think that that we've got the ability, we can solve some really thorny problems. I think if you make things accessible, um, you, yeah. you know, a lot. So I think it's great that you've got, you, you need that, 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 that kind of opportunity. Right. Um, and I, I do think that as, as this gets more and more and more accessible, as you get more and more and more and more people writing software, thinking computationally, I think then then all that, all that builds on itself. It allows more people to solve more problems. Right. You think about how many problems there are, how many inefficiencies there are in the broader world. Well, and I like, and I have to mock you a little bit because here you live right here in the yeah. Bay Area, and you know how people like to say that a lot of the apps out there are for Silicon Valley are solving a problem that your mom is no longer or your parents are no longer solving for you. Right. Interesting. And yeah. Like, right. Oh no, I think that, that it, I think that a one trend I think that we will definitely see is you know. But we, with, when you get more people out there with a different set of problems, absolutely. Like gonna, we do, the, the world does not need another dating app. Right, the dating app is a kind of like the, 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 is ground zero for this, right. because so many young founders are young and they are like, I need like dating Relevant apps. Relevant their interests, right? And, and the world does not need another dating app. Um, I mean, or, or, maybe they could swipe up and down oh, instead of left. Have you ever watched someone do Tinder? I have not. It is not. They're swiping. Oh, they're swiping, and so I mean, you but know, it's left and right, right? It's left and right. So and you I, could and disrupt I, that up and down. Oh, you're right. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I don't even know which one's which. I can't even remember which one's which. I, I actually, I met my wife online, but it was old school, Match.com, a long time ago. Um, there was no swiping back then. There was definitely no swiping. There was stigma. It was still like <laughs> the like this was basically felt like half a step up from the personals in the back of the you know the local like you know and SF Weekly. I, considering I met my spouse at a live action vampire role playing game because <laughs> it was the nineties, I'm gonna right. say that. None of us have ground to stand on. No, no, in terms of right, total nerds. And the I do remember at one point, you know, the younger colleague was kind of having a hard time meeting someone. I'm like, you know, you may want to consider going online. He's like, hey, what do you think you I've idiot. been trying? Exactly. It's like every that's the only way you meet people. And so I actually was on Bart watching someone in front of me on Tinder. Oh yeah. And it was horrifying. They're like, oh, the UI wasn't good. No, it's just like because you, you all you're doing is reacting on just like the photo, oh. and you're just like, yes, uh, no. But you can't learn anything no. about the person. Oh no. No, it's purely. I was imagining. I was imagining something with like, um, you know, I don't know, 
kind of like The Sims, like qualities hanging no. above the head. No, please. This is why you met at a vampire meetup and I met. <laughs> no, please. Uh, it, it, anyway, the, 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 I think that, just to your point, I, I, I think that when you get people with a much broader set of life experiences, set of perspectives, yeah. set of, I, I mean, there's just a lot of, there are a lot of interesting problems to go solve, a lot of inefficiencies that can go be addressed that are not necessarily yeah. going to be VC-fueled multi-billion dollar businesses, but they're going to be... But they, they, they could be. I mean, they, desalinization. It, it absolutely could like, be. Go. Oh. <laughs> Potable well, water is relevant to the interests of people Okay, here. so this, I, this is where it would just like tangent all over the place. Okay, so confession, um, I think climate change is going to be kind of exciting. So here's why. I mean, terrifying, but exciting in a, everyone's going to have to come together to solve everyone's it. Everyone's going to have to come together to solve it. I mean, that's it. For I mean, disclosure, I, I, like we have a Tesla that's showing up in like two weeks. Wow. The, the so yeah. It's like, go. let's put our money where our mouth are. You know, like we, we finally got to the, we haven't had a car since 2011. Right. We finally got to the point where Joe's work was such that he was, at one point he rented a car for a week just to get to the gig he needed to get to yeah. every day because it was really far away. And I was like, okay, uh, I know that you see yourself as a cycle commuter, but realistically there's enough driving here that we need to get a car. And then we decided like it, it's got to be an electric car because we signed up for the wind energy at home. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? If I can have a wind-powered Tesla, I'm going to not feel so horrible about wasting the resources of having it. Right. And so there's that. There's the, like, there's the how do I kind of uh, reduce my – but it would mean ultimately we're, we're, we've got a huge – I fly so much high, that I can't right, think exactly, about right, my right, carbon right, footprint. Right, right. Don't the think Fly Delta app tells me my carbon, fo- oh, carbon footprint God, is totally hosed. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, <laughs> you have probably drowned the Maldives yourself. Probably. The, what time is it, by the way? Because I do have a flight sometime um, coming up here. So um, the – Oh, we're okay. Um. I, I think that that you, it will be a grand unifying engineering challenge, which is always exciting. Yeah. Um, and I think that we will be um, not to minimize the all the lives that will be impacted, but you know we'll figure it out. I, I think that 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 sometimes people are Such an optimist. I, I look at the track record of history. You as a firebrand, but I don't know. I no, I I am actually I I am deeply optimistic. I just think that that you look at the number, and in part because I'm pessimal enough. To because I always kind of do go to the worst case scenario. I've seen the number so of things. Do I. It that, drives that, Joe crazy. But, but just like you, you look at the number of things that, thing. that, that, we, that we have conquered. Look how close we came to to mutual annihilation during the Cold War, and yet we didn't. Why? Because our for a brief shining moment, our our best minds were actually and ultimately in government. Um, the you know you, you I look. Think at, there's some of that coming now. I mean. Jess Humble works for 18F. I, think about that for a minute. I, no, I, I think that one of the things that, that I like about the rising generation is that there is a real, much more of a community sense than there was. Certainly, I mean, we're a couple of apathetic Xers, right? I mean, like, we're just like, a community sense is something that you make fun of on The Simpsons as far as we're concerned, I th- right? I think the, we are disaffected members of Generation X, but you know just as well as I do that we secretly care. Maybe oh, not, no, sure. not so secretly. We do no, no, I, no I, I definitely do. I think, and I think Xers all in general. I mean, the, the, but I, I think that there is, there's not, there's a very strong cultural sense, uh, um, and it's. I think that that's a that's a great, a, a very strong kind of communal sense. Um, one that we were too cynical and bitter to pull off generationally. That we would ultimately like have that communal sense would be purely ironic for us. 
Irony is kind of I, irony is either dead or metastasized, and I don't know. I, I, oh, are we, is this a are we in a post ironic world? I think we are in a bit of a post ironic world. Is this Alanis Morissette's fault? <laughs> That's right. See, the people are going. They're, they're googling Alanis Morissette. I mean, what the hell is this? Um, I really do. You really think I don't? We don't have demographics of the age range of people who listen to this podcast. Maybe I think Stratton's running some kind of survey. Maybe we should put that in there. But I do kind of wonder how many things we talk about people do need to look up. Well, I listen. I, I, <laughs> Not I, just tech things, right? No, I, I listen. I'm 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 an unapologetic exer, and there are certain things that I view as mandatory education. We did a we had a guy that that uh, a young engineer, great engineer, had not seen war games. It, like exactly, eyes popping out of the head, which is like I'm like this is a solvable problem. Go watch war games, right? And you know. We would we have an online system of demerits here at Joint. We give we, we, we give. <laughs> demer- saying something about that. That sounds hilarious. We, we we give demerits out, and any time that we give demerits for for trolling others or being trolled, and any time. Wait, a, do you get like a certain number of points for like you know house whatever house product gets? Because if you get demerits, you, there has to be merit points too, right? This is right, purely negative reinforcement <sighs> system, and the, the, the uh, this is the, the, the canonical shot caller. But the. <laughs> And any time a War Games reference was, was made in kind of casual conversation, I would just give this guy a demerit because it's like, oh. he's like, why are you giving me a demerit? I'm like, exactly, exactly, <laughs> because you don't know. He's like, well, how do you know I haven't yet seen War Games? It's like, because the day you've seen War Games, you're going to come into the office, say, apologizing for not having seen it because it, it holds up very well. It also has got, it, it's, there's a certain amount of the culture that you don't understand without having seen it. Um, so finally, I mean, the only way to do it was mandatory viewing. Um, and so we, we, we did the mandatory viewing. He watched War Games. Like, doesn't that feel better? And he's like, actually, that was a really good movie. I'm like, yes, exactly. Exactly. So I do feel that War Games is a – I'm unapologetic <laughs> about you. you, you have, have you shown War Games to your kids yet? Oh, my, my kids saw War Games right away. I mean, I, 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 I tried not to – uh, I've, I've tried to make sure that they go forth having seen some of the what I consider to be the basics. But War Games is not necessarily in the canon. The way Back to the Future is. You can drop a Back to the Future reference and any millennial is totally with you. You know, when we were um, test driving Teslas, we did end up going with the S. But when we were test driving the X, uh, the probably 20-something-year-old who was working at the dealership, I'm, I'm not going to say that he was a car salesperson because they have no commission and He's like, I'll show you anything you want to see. Okay, go buy it on the website. Like, they don't sell anything to you at right. the test. Modern salesperson. Yeah, it's like, no. But um, but Joe was saying, you know, hey, ever since I was like 9 or 10, I wanted a DeLorean. Like, as we're testing oh, the you know, yeah. going doors on the X. And, and this kid's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know. Because it's like, I'm thinking. Does he know what we're like, talking about? Oh, yeah. No, yes. he's, he's nodding. He's smiling. And I was, I was he like, absolutely this, this is in the canon. No, like, it is in the canon, which is strange. And but Today's young people have apparently seen... You know, uh, Marty McFly with his ridiculous life jacket on. What was with those vests? A, a, and yet Dave Lightman is just like blank stare, <laughs> which is just, you know. Uh, anyway, so the, um, I, I think that um, it, it is um, – well, you've got to get the demographics of your podcast. But um, yeah. Yeah. The other thing I, I, I think is interesting to, to kind of uh, on a more personal note is I find that uh, as especially as I get older, I'm kind of viewed as the, the, the local historian, which is a little <laughs> bit ridiculous. But um, I find there is a lot of interest actually um, in, in – I think sometimes you're like, oh, people don't care about you know these things historically. I find people are very interested in the history. I think it's not something we teach. Um, and by the history, you mean college. 
Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, well, in terms of like, people are interested in, in the, the, right, exactly. When you say antiquarian history, you mean, right? No, but I, and, and beyond, I think that we don't teach the, the history of these systems. I think people are like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that, I didn't realize that. You know, and I think that it's, when you understand the history, you, you can understand the present so much better. You can, you can better yeah. project into the future. Well, and, and it's not even just a, um, a technical history because a lot of it does have to do with both human computer interaction totally. and the competing interests of different companies and you know whoever Seymour Cray was mad at and like these things actually had a huge effect and outsized effect made, they made a huge effect especially in Minneapolis the, 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 with the Cray Research Cray Computer Split you know they, it's right. um, no, I mean I, I have family friends who worked for Control Data Corp and it's just like CDC you got CDC is a Really interesting company. Um, they had a. I know uh, my mom's best friend, a woman who babysat me when I was a kid and everything. She worked as a, Alice Olson worked as a punch card operator there. The CDC sixty six hundred is one of the most interesting machines that you. Yes. I, there's a and there's a great book on it by Ian Thornton on the the, the way they they have, we'll have to put a link in the show notes. Well, they, they they've got parallel execution units. And you have this this kind of this rotating Gatling gun firing off executions <laughs> at, at, at these at, at these units. Really interesting stuff. Cray, a very interesting Cray machine. Um, that was a Seymour Cray design machine. Very interesting machine. Yeah. So this is a a, a wide ranging list of topics. <laughs> I have no idea what we're going to call this episode. Have you thought of anything? I, you know, I think we should just take three of the, you know, <laughs> the, the, the three of the more random things we talked about and put them together into the title and see what you get. But yeah, I, I apologize to take everyone on the on the random walk. Yeah, this I, is exactly what I wanted. What all right, good. I, I, th I think sometimes we think like, God, like what I, I you know. We, how short is your attention span? Can we just like <laughs> live in a place for more than 30 seconds? But you know, gotta, gotta keep it interesting. This is exactly what I wanted. Oh, and awesome. for anyone who's watching the video and who's noticing, we are wearing the same t-shirt. We did not plan that. Did not plan it. We just turned out to be that awesome that we happened to wear the same shirt today. This is the, the, the container summit. This is the, uh, the, the, the concert tour short. Yeah, you, you list of cities. It's got my calendar on the back. Um, has <laughs> Brian's recent uh, travels. Did, did my you go to all of them? Did. Oh my goodness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had a we had a road show that um, I wasn't on, but uh, I got to enjoy the Minneapolis version of it when my coworkers yeah. Casey and Fred and Kenny brought it through town. But they they actually hit a bunch of U.S. cities, a similar number perhaps to what the uh, Container Summit Roadshow hit. Then they also went to MEI and APJ, which yeah. is like whoa, that's, that's a lot. That's all the that's a lot frequent, of travel. That's all the frequent flyer miles you could ever want. Yeah, and exactly. Also exhaustion, right? Um, but the uh, the Container Summit. Um, city tour and i know you've done container summit as like a, a marquee event a couple of times yeah can you talk just briefly because yeah. we of course are running out of time and i do have to go get on a flight but right. can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to move from and just tell people what was container summit originally and what inspired you to move to the city uh yeah so we, we we container summit was, <laughs> was originally a marketing event disguised as a conference really and as one does and as one does and everyone and we <clears> did <throat> such a good job dis disguising people like this is a great <laughs> conference You're like uh it was a marketing event. Okay, <laughs> great. I'm glad you think that. Um, the uh, and we did one in New York that was really successful. Then another one in San Francisco that was very successful. Then another one in New York, and then kind of and then realized, that, you know, of course you know this that there are great technologists everywhere, um, <laughs> and you know we wanted to take the show on the road and actually get to local technologists. Also, I wanted to have conversations. I mean, one thing that was important to me is having conversation conversations with local technologists 
in front of the local technologists mm -hmm. so people can understand like this stuff is not just happening in the abstract it's happening at the next company it's happening at my company it's happening at you know my university or the next university I mean it's happening in my area I right. mean um, I always think it's great to, to kind of connect those technologists and I always find that you know the you know, you, you go to a meetup anywhere in the Bay Area and you know, we're so inundated with tech here that, that it, people are kind of disinclined, I think, to spend their, their, you know, the hours outside of work. Whereas I think when you go to places where there, there are fewer of these events, people really turn out for them and you get a great yeah. energy. And so, you know, you, you get, I mean, like it, we saw it certainly in Minneapolis, we saw it in Milwaukee, you saw it, you know, where you mm -hmm. get like, you get a lot of, of, of people who are out, who are engaged and almost very like, wow, it's kind of great to see so many people from, you know, my city out here. But it's like, it, so it's, it's been fun to kind of remind people that, Hey, there's, there is interesting technical work happening all over. Yeah, I think you attracted, a, I think about 135 people showed up. And this was a one-off. It was not even our actual monthly meetup. We had our meetup, and then the next week we had the DevOps meetup co-branded with Container Summit and the Docker meetup. And we had, I think, 135 people Which is great and speaks highly of, certainly highly of like, the great tech community there in Minneapolis. And I think, again, it's a theme that we see that we, yeah. um, and I think it's well, a, if, a theme that we're going to continue to see. I and think people being really interested in the stuff that you were bringing. I had people that... I worked with at the university 20 years ago, who I hadn't seen for years, showed up because they were fans of you, which I think is hilarious and adorable. Yeah, that I, 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 that I'm still adjusting to. People <laughs> wanting, like, can I get a selfie with you? I, and, uh, and I kind of like, I, first, of course, um, I wish my kids were here so I could gloat in front of them <laughs> because they, they they so frequently tell me that nobody cares that, you know. Oh. Um, the, but then, I, and I also, like, I, I'm still adjusting to the, like, the selfie Instagramming kind of life. Yeah. The, the, I felt like I had a very, my, my son's birthday was over the weekend, big birthday party last night, felt very postmodern in that the, my four-year-old daughter started dabbing for all these 11, 12, and 13-year-old boys who were just, I mean, they were, every phone was out. Everyone is Instagramming this. So now my, exactly, my four-year-old daughter, who admittedly does have, I mean, she, if you want to know where, if you met my oldest, you would think that like, wow, this, this, uh, we, are we sure this is like, but I don't want to say paternity test, but have you, you know, uh, my oldest is, I got a very mellow disposition, super sweet kid. As they get younger, you see a little more of my personality <laughs> until you get to the four-year-old who is like, I feel You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to apologize in advance for that one. She is, uh, she is a ton of fun, but it's anyway. hysterical. Yeah, she's pretty funny. But all over it. Instagram. So yeah, yeah, but okay. So you've got Sorry. so this Container Summit uh, this summer's tours are over, or do you still have uh, still go, still going to Denver and uh, L.A. and then I think we got okay. Seattle and Portland on there. So we're, wow, um, so you're still going strong. So we're still going strong. People um, can go to ContainerSummit.io. ContainerSummit.io. See the schedule um, mm -hmm. and suggest a city, and uh, if we miss one too. So. And so where other, what other places can people, you know, stalk you online or find out what you think about um, companies with too many lawyers? Yeah, you can always DM me on Twitter. I, I've, I've definitely, one of the features of Twitter added that I like is allowing anyone in the world to message me. So I don't need to follow you to DM me. That's a pretty good way to, to, to hit me up. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, always excited to have a conversation. So um, that's probably the, sure. probably the best way. Um, and then in terms of like, Exciting stuff that is going on with Joint. Apparently, um, you have gone worldwide. There's the so if if Halu is our um, 
like Korean soft power wave of you know culture yeah. across the world. What are we? What, do we have a Korean word yet for um, the the giant way? Something <laughs> like that. No, yet. Yeah, we're working on it. We we're we're definitely uh, learning a lot about Korean culture. We were acquired by Samsung and. Um, We've been, especially as, as we've been making the trips to Suwon, and mm-hmm. everyone's been, boy, if it's not, if you have not seen a baseball game in Korea, you've got to put it on your bucket list. Really? It is, um, it is amazing. There wow. is no other word for it. It is amazing. It cool. is, it defies description. It is really amazing. Um, and it's funny because I came back from, from Korea saying exactly that. And I think the two kind of people believed me, but thought I might be exaggerating. And they themselves went to a baseball game. They're just like minds blown. Yeah. Um, I worked at a K drama streaming site, but I never got an excuse to go to Korea. It, it, it's, I, I did work our uh, award show where a bunch of K pop and K drama stars came uh, over to New York, oh, and I got to like you know be kind of putting wristbands on the fans or whatever. There you go. And of course, the I'm in the line putting wristbands on the people asking. So, what do you like about the app? Interesting. Tell me more. Right. And that's what great. happened? When did that happen? <laughs> it's like, that's great. But yeah, yeah so you, I, the, you got to go over to Korea. That's yeah, great. It, it, which has been great. The very interesting culture, appreciating, of, of course, appreciating the differences, but also appreciating yeah. the the shared values that we've got between Samsung and Giant. So we're really excited. And the, yeah. the great, great fit and doing some really that's exciting so stuff. That's cool. You're going to have to come up with like some kind of Korean word for like, the joint ethos or the joint way. Joyer or something. I, I, the joyer, we will work on it. We will work on it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Fantastic. Well, this has been super fun, Brian. It's been great. I, I apologize to the listener for the, the, the long <laughs> random tour through seemingly disconnected but things, but, you know, here this we are. Is, this is the... Uh, this is a mental road trip with the two of us. This is a fun stuff that I think our listeners appreciate. I, I, excellent. Well, it's, so, it's been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you so much, You Brian. bet. Take care. You too. Okay. Community and event stuff. If you have an upcoming conference you'd like to see promoted on ADO, you can fill out the handy form at arresteddevops.com slash conf. Upcoming conferences, there's discounts on lots of DevOps days, now including Madison, and dates are announced for Sydney. Uh, Discounts on the upcoming O'Reilly Security and Velocity conferences, ADO 2016 for 20% off pretty much everything. And open CFPs, take a look, OSCON's CFP for next May, already open, I know. We have a newsletter, ArrestedDevOps.com slash Banana Stand. It's the best way to know about upcoming podcast episodes and cool news with DevOps. And if you want to help us bring you even more content, you can always contribute to us at Patreon.com slash ArrestedDevOps. Don't forget that we have a bunch of cool new ADO merchandise available at store.ArrestedDevOps.com. Fun t-shirts, mugs, and stickers can be yours. Thanks to our sponsors. Be sure to visit them at ArrestedDevOps.com slash 10th Magnitude and ArrestedDevOps.com slash VictorOps. And loyal listeners, if you enjoy Arrested DevOps, we'd appreciate it if you would visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash iTunes and leave us a review in the iTunes store. We'd love to know what you thought of this episode. Please leave us comments at ArrestedDevOps.com slash Fireside-Chat. You can find us on Twitter at, at ArrestedDevOps. We're always happy to get your input, ideas, or feedback at shows at ArrestedDevOps.com. Please let us know any ideas you have for future episodes. I'm Bridget at Bridget Crumhout, and remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand.